TGIM Team RE. This is episode 362. I was still there with all the unmanageability uh, with or without alcohol. And that was so mind boggling to me. I thought removing alcohol was just going to cure everything that was wrong with me. And that's such, it's the smallest part of the whole equation. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Odette Kressler. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Noelle. Noelle took her last drink on June 24th, 2019. She is from Colorado and she is 31 years old. You'll hear Chris's interview with Noelle here in a little bit. But before that, I wanted to tell you a story about the day that I met Noelle. Last year, My husband and I decided to go to Zion to celebrate our wedding anniversary. We both love hiking, and these days we have to do shorter trails due to our crazy schedules and life with kids. So naturally, getting lost in Zion without the kids sounded amazing. The day after we arrived at the park, we decided to tackle Angel's Landing. Angel's Landing is a 1,500-foot tall rock formation within the park. It's a steep hike that ends with a chained portion that ascends to the summit. Anyway, we were up there getting ready to hold on to the chains when out of the blue, I hear someone ask me, is your name Odette? I answered yes. It was Noelle. She said something along the lines of, I listened to your podcast. Thank you for helping me stay sober. God bless you. I got chills and still do as I am recounting the story. I felt extremely moved, and I'm so grateful for this interaction. I don't think I'll ever forget that moment. So thank you, Noel. I'm so happy you're on the show today. All right, team, let's work on finding your better you. I'm reading this book called The Happiness Trap by Russ Harris. My therapist recommended we worked through it in tandem with our sessions. As much as I've shared on here that I love therapy and that I have been in therapy for years, in the last few months, therapy has felt very new to me. This book focuses on a therapy form called acceptance and commitment therapy. This is a definition from psychology today. It says, acceptance and commitment therapy, also known as ACT therapy, encourages people to embrace their thoughts and feelings rather than fighting or feeling guilty for them. It may seem confusing at first, but ACT paired with mindfulness-based therapy offers clinically effective treatment. I'm a glass half full kind of person, and I've always been. I've lived for 34 years feeling proud of my optimistic personality and always believe that my perception of the world defines my experiences, so I may as well have a positive perception and look at the bright side, right? Don't get me wrong, I love this side of me. It's what allows me to have kitchen dance parties even when I may be bombarded by bad news. And it's the side of me that deep down always knows that things will work out. However, with this therapy approach, I'm also realizing how in the past, I haven't been processing a lot of negative thoughts or emotions. Instead, I've been shoving them away. This therapy style teaches that negative thoughts don't need to be changed, replaced, or fixed. They need to be accepted and we can learn to not fuse to them or adhere to them. 
Hoping that these thoughts disappear or never exist in our brains is like hoping that spicy chili mango grows on trees. That'd be nice, but it's probably not going to happen. Embracing negative thoughts won't make me a negative person. Embracing negative thoughts can actually sometimes propel me into right thinking and right acting. Listen to the short passage from the Happiness Trap book. The issue is not whether your thoughts are positive or negative. The question actually is, if I let this thought guide what I can do, will it help me create the life I want? Let me read the last sentence again. If I let this thought guide what I can do, will it help me create the life that I want? Wow. How many times do we get wound up in our thoughts, categorizing them as negative or positive? What if we completely remove that from the process and just focused on the question listed above? What happens if I follow this thought into action? The book encourages listeners to use the thought if it will lead you to the life that you want or to diffuse from it if it's not going to be helpful at all. So let's put this into practice. This thought arises. A drink sounds really good right now. So instead of wondering what this thought even is, where it came from, whether it's good or bad, whether it means that you're morally failing at recovery or whatever it is that you're thinking, just reframe and ask yourself, will having a drink bring me closer to the life that I want? Bam. I mean, you can answer this for yourself, but I'm pretty sure that if you're listening to the show, the answer is no. Drinking will most likely not bring us closer to the life that we want. Wasn't that helpful? Or is it just me? If this sounded helpful, I highly recommend you snag a copy of this book. We're not sponsored. I'm not trying to advertise for them. I'm just really finding this approach beneficial and refreshing. And I just wanted to share with you all. I bought the illustrated version and I'm really enjoying it. So I'm going to have Liz drop that link from Amazon in the show notes. My hope is that as we are wrapping up this first month of the new year, we give ourselves grace and not put so much pressure on ourselves. I'm grateful that we are all here working towards the same goals. And I'm also a little bit worried about how hard we are on ourselves with this new year, new me marketing strategy from the world. So just know that slow and steady wins the race. We are here for you and I believe in us. All right, eso es todo. And before we hear from Chris and Noel, let's hear from our sponsors for this episode. Exact Nature's safe and healthy CBD-based products are formulated to help you with the challenges of quitting drinking such as addictive cravings, depression, anxiety, and lack of sleep. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to exactnature.com and use the promo code RE20 to receive a 20% discount on your order. That is RE20 at exactnature.com. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the best online therapy option that currently exists on the market. Mental health matters, and as we continue to live through these stressful times, it has become more and more evident that we need to have someone that can help us process our emotions and navigate the challenges of sobriety. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. BetterHelp provides a broad range of expertise, which may not be locally available in many areas. 
The platform is super easy to navigate as you can log into your account at any time and send a message to your counselor. You'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions with your counselor. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. You all know that I'm a big proponent of therapy, so I highly recommend you check it out. Simply visit betterhelp.com forward slash elevator. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and join everyone that is taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Recovery Elevator listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com forward slash elevator. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com forward slash elevator. Odette, thank you so much for the intro and Recovery Elevator. Please help me welcome Noel. Noel, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you, Chris? I'm doing really well. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate your time and I'm excited to talk with you and get to know you a little better. Absolutely. I feel like it's a long time coming for me to be here. So I'm grateful, grateful that we finally figured it out and I'm here on Recovery Elevator. Very cool. Very cool moment. Can you let listeners know how long you've been sober? Yeah, two and a half years this week. I got sober in June 2019. That's super exciting. Congratulations on two and a half years. How are you feeling? You know, it's 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 pretty incredible just to, to look back at that, how quick time passes, um, I guess. But uh, it's, it's been incredible. So, yeah, I, I woke up a couple weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago, and I had, you know, one of those sober counters on my, my phone. And it was like, you hit a milestone. And I was like, what milestone have I hit? And it said 900 days. And that just blew my mind because I couldn't even imagine like nine days. So 900 with a couple zeros behind it was just like, holy moly, like miracles happen. That is really awesome. Well, congratulations and nice job. Um, Thank you so much. Before we get into it, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you do for a living, age, family, and most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? Yeah, I'm 31 years old. I just turned 31 yesterday, so I'm getting used to to putting in one behind the 30. <laughs> um, but I'm an engineer in Denver, Colorado, and I've I've worked for the same company for about seven years now, and I I do a lot of engineering of roadways, highway expansion projects, and electric line projects, and in the Denver metro area. And and I work with my brother. He's <laughs> My, my younger brother sits right next to me at the same engineering firm. Uh, we That's do the same thing for cool. a living. So it's, it is cool. You know, like I said, my birthday was yesterday. And so he literally put 300 cans of LaCroix <laughs> in my office and he stacked it up like towers. It was hilarious. But, uh, you know, one thing that I don't mess around with in sobriety is my sparkling water. And he knows that. So that was uh, quite funny to walk into today. But yeah, so I've lived in Colorado, gosh, 27 years. So I was born in Texas, but I've lived in Colorado most of my life. And I've got a, an eight-year-old Doberman named Brecken who uh, I've had since he was a puppy. And, and we do a ton of hiking. Um, I'm a big skier. So this time of year, I'm, I'm skiing a lot out in Colorado. But anything outdoors with that dog of mine. And I'm not married with any kids. So I just try to get outside and enjoy Colorado as much as I can. And yeah, and hang out with my dog. <laughs> Very cool. And Colorado's a great place to be an outdoors person. I every once in a while yeah. every once in a while I get down there and I just I absolutely love that place. So that's cool that you get to take take it all in. 
It's and incredible. The LaCroix, I absolutely love it. My wife gives me a hard time every time we do like a Sam's Club or a Costco trip. I'm like, let's take the truck. And she's like, do you need more water? <laughs> do you need to stock up? <laughs> um, like, yes, I do. I can get like five cases of LaCroix right. for, I mean, that's that would be my drinking for like two days and it'll last me. Oh my goodness, Chris, you're speaking my language. I mean, that's me. And it was hilarious last night. We went out to dinner for my birthday and my whole family, everyone, everyone, all my family lives in Denver. And, you know, I, I'm working from home this week and next just with the holidays. And, but my brother has been wondering where I've been. And he's, he's like, man, you should really go to the office tomorrow. And, and I was like, man, he normally doesn't miss me from the office that much. And I woke up at like 3 a.m. this morning and I was like, he did something to my office <laughs> and I walked in this morning and I was like honestly that's like the best gift you could give me <laughs> right because like they, they don't go bad and there's just literally 300 of them in my office right now so it's it's a true gift <laughs> I love it Amy Amy's my wife Amy if you listen to this take note this is the type of prank that I'm into do <laughs> this, this for I'm me about. for everything <laughs> Oh, great. I'm just, yeah, the, that I don't have to carry the, um, the carts into like the cases of LaCroix for the next, um, maybe a month, the way that we drink <laughs> LaCroix. I'm really grateful for that. So thank you, Christian. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, Noel, let's do what we came here to do. Uh, okay. Can you tell us a little bit about your relationship with alcohol? Uh, and let's maybe start with with how it started and then work into how it progressed how you felt along the way and yeah let's just see where the conversation goes okay great you know i'm not i'm not really sure how it started to be honest um but but i know that i was always someone in high school who i had a fake id when i was 17 years old and i got that from i was really good at math and i went to the community, local community college for for my math classes because they didn't offer them in high school and so there was a girl that sat, ne sat next to me and she looked a lot like me and she was pregnant at the time and i just asked if i could buy her id from her and and i just i i don't know i know my first drink was around 13 i couldn't really tell you but um, I know that I was always trying to think about how I could get alcohol easier, how how I could party without needing someone to buy it for me, and um, and that was always that was always on my my mind. You know, in high school, I was really good at basketball, and and there was this direct correlation between the amount of drinking I would do and then how I would excel in sports. And I did awful in high school academically. I was way too focused on partying and doing all the things that were not contributing to, to any significant goals in my life, but I was excelling at basketball. And so that got me into college, uh, not my grades. And so when I got into college, I, I went to college to play basketball. And when I was 18 years old, I got my first DUI. And that was something that was really like um, kind of put under the rug, you know, like from the outside, I was doing so well. I started to to really focus a little bit more on school at that point in time. I was like, man, if I don't do well in college, like I'm not going to do well at life. So maybe I should should get my act together with academics. But I didn't get a lot of consequences, if like no consequences for that first DUI. Yeah. And, 
you know, it was Noah, keep focusing on basketball and, and, and keep doing your thing. And so that's kind of what happened. And so this is, I, I say that because it really set the tone for my entire drinking career, that the highlight reel looked really good. And a lot of people, including myself, justified my behavior and my drinking because I was excelling academically, because I was excelling in sports, because I was excelling professionally. And this is a pattern that kept three times and, and I graduated college and I was one of those people that had a job as soon as I graduated. And in 2015, I was working in oil and gas and oil fell really hard and really fast. And all of a sudden I was working from home in Northern Colorado and, and I was drinking tequila at 8 a.m. You know, I was just, I, I was living alone with my dog and I was just bored, you know, like I always drank to get drunk. And I always, once I started, I couldn't stop. I couldn't, I, I didn't want one or two, you know, when seven or eight would would be better as a starter. And so I was driving up to Estes Park one day and it was, gosh, it was like 9 a.m. You know, I put my dog in the back of my brand new truck I just bought and I drove up to Estes Park and coming down Highway 34 is one way on each way. And uh, I crashed my truck. I went off the side of a mountain and all 13 airbags in this brand new Tundra went off. And... I blew a 0.27 for my second DUI. And uh, in the state of Colorado, you know, you're going to jail for your second DUI. And um, here I was just doing so well professionally, you know, and I was making the money that could buy the attorneys that could try to get me as as less time and, and get me out of this as quick as possible, you know. I drank all throughout my pretrial, like consequences just didn't phase me at all. I figured out how to get around them and it just they didn't deter my drinking. Like the state of Colorado knew I needed to be sober long before I did. And I'm someone that if you tell me to go right, I'm going to go left with vengeance. And so that's, (laughs) I'm going to prove you wrong. This is why I can drink. Like my first one was a fluke. My second one, it was just a rough time with oil and gas, but, but it's okay. Like I'm going to be okay. I think that happens to a lot of us is that we don't have these, we don't have these these perceived bottoms that that someone with an issue with alcohol has, you know, we, that we all we talk about the stereotype nonstop. For whatever reason, it involves bridges and brown paper bags. But mm-hmm. until until we see those, which a lot of us don't, it's like how like this couldn't be me. And and uh, I relate to your story because I've you know I had I've got a good job. I'm successful. There's so many areas of my life, and it's I felt like like those things couldn't exist in the same space that I have a problem with alcohol and I'm successful. And, and I, I use, I use that success to negate the, even the possibility for that. The, yeah. The possibility that, that there could be a problem. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to say that there's this yet scale, right? Yes. Like, and, and it's one of my favorite acronyms, like you're eligible too. you know, like my, oh, like my that. rock bottom always has a basement. And, you know, I, I tell this story, like my mom is like the most normal drinker ever. And she, so the thing, Wallace, all this was going on like no one knew I, I would keep different friends um and because uh I I was able to scrape a lot of this under the rug like my parents didn't know what was going on no one in my family did I was able to take care of the attorneys and the time by myself and you know and I could justify it by it looked really bad and it was really bad yeah but it was also I would overcompensate professionally. So I was mm-hmm. I was in the green more days than not, barely, but I was in the green more than I was in the red. And that's what kept me in the game. I relate to that. Just what can I do? Like, 
how much good stuff can I do? And I, and I, 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 I hate to quantify good and bad, but just for lack of a better word from, from me, but how much good can I do? Success, you know, success in my life can negate that. Um, how did that, how did it feel to, to be in that alone? I'm, I'm assuming you felt like you couldn't tell your folks or maybe there was some shame built into that. I don't, I don't, I gosh, I just in that time, I don't know if there was even shame. It was just more survival mode. I don't think I thought far enough ahead. I mean, I'm sure there was shame. I just didn't identify it because I didn't want to tell them, man, it was just fight or flight during that time. And I was just trying to do, do what I could do. But while my alcoholism was progressing extensively, so was me being a workaholic and those two things went hand in hand for me. So I think, uh, you know, the, the, the worse my alcoholism would get, the better I would get professionally. And, you know, I would be at Christmas parties and my parents would be bragging on what I've accomplished professionally, you know, or if people would ask me how things are going, I would just resort back to my professional life because my personal life was on fire. And so that was, um, you know, I was able to, the highlight rail, like it looked so great and I was yeah. dying inside. Yeah. So how did this, this second DUI, how did, how did that play out consequence wise? So I had, um, I was a, a month in work release. So as soon as, as soon as I got done with that work release and I had a friend watch my dog, uh, for that month and I would just go to work and then go back to, to jail in the evening. And so that next month I got out of work release and I found a job down in Denver working for an engineering firm. And I did really well. And my drinking kind of subsided for a while. You know, I did everything I needed to do for that second DOI and did my classes and did my community service and all the things. And, and that one was my most probably traumatic DUI. But my third hit me the hardest, as they do. You know, my second was around 25 and my third was 27. And I'm driving home from just having a couple beers with... Um, with a friend in Denver and, and I get pulled over when I pull up to my house and, and I was arrested and I went to jail for a few days and, and I knew that I, this was a big one, like this in the state of Colorado, three DUIs in that short amount of time, especially like it's not going to be good for you. And during this time, you know, I'm, I'm 27, I'm making six figures. I I'm winning all these accolades. I'm, I'm getting letters behind my name and I am waking up in jail, you know, mm -hmm. and there was this point I ended up having uh, five months of, of work release during that time. And then some in-home detention after that. And there was this point in my in-home detention. I tell the story just to reiterate the paradox of my drinking career. And I, I am accepting an award with the Denver Business Journal for the top 30 under 30 for engineering. And I go up to accept this award. My CEO, my CFO, um, they bought a table for this banquet at the Denver Coliseum. And, you know, it's a big deal. I work for an engineering consulting firm and it's big marketing. And I'm going up to accept this award. And I have an ankle monitor taped around my leg, duct taped, because you couldn't, I couldn't wear a skirt and I couldn't wear slacks with this ankle monitor oh, showing. Man. And so I had to duct tape it further up my leg so no one could see it. And so during that time, you know, I'm in work release. I'm sleeping in Arapahoe County Jail at night, but I'm accepting this award for 
for what I'm doing professionally, the Denver Business Journal. Like I'm the top 30, under 30 engineer in Colorado being recognized. But that night I was slept in a cot in Arapahoe County Jail. And so that was, that was, I don't know, looking back on that, it just seems like worlds away. Um, but that didn't get me sober either. I didn't, that, uh, there was nothing about that experience that told me, Noel, maybe, maybe you should quit drinking. Yeah, I got, I, gosh, I just have to believe that there's so much like inner turmoil trying to keep a, keep a face up. Oh my goodness. Yep. <laughs> did you, did you ever contemplate speaking? I guess I get maybe the first thing before telling somebody you would need help. Did you, did you feel like you needed it at this point? Did, like were you recognizing that, Hey, this is an issue or were you still, you know, in your mind writing it off as though these are isolated incidents or, or this isn't the whole truth. Maybe this is just something that happened to happen, but, but it's not a problem yet. I didn't think I had a problem with drinking. I thought I had a problem getting caught and getting arrested. <laughs> I mean, I'm a really intelligent person, but I'm really dumb sometimes. And the thing about me is, you know, I, I don't do anything in moderation. So if I'm going to over excel at something, whether it was sports or professionally or my alcoholism, I'm going to go, I'm going to push it to the limits. And this was no exception. And so there was never really a time during that, that that happened that I said, man, I really need to put the bottle down. Like I wasn't ready to break up with the love of my life yet. You know, mm -hmm. like that was I could pick and choose who my friends were and who I told about who I was. But alcohol was always there for me at the end of the day. You know, like I could get off work and I could drink like I wanted to with no one else and, and no one was there for me the way alcohol was and and I wasn't ready to to end that that love affair yet yeah I, I think we feel like we get this freedom from it but like what we what we fail to see is is as we you know I used to say that same thing like I, I just want to drink like I want to without somebody giving me a bunch of grief but while I think that I'm living in this freedom of drinking the way I choose, like I'm slowly, slowly like being bound and, yeah, and, and absolutely. The, the choice is being taken away from me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's fast forward to, to what did their DUI wasn't quite the trick. It wasn't. No, I, I kept drinking for about six months after that. Okay. And then one day I, and, and you know, I would go out of my way to make sure that my attorneys filed certain motions. So I could drink during probation or I wasn't getting tested, you know, like I, I had figured out the system in all my twenties. I mean, I was on my, on probation for almost 10 years in my twenties, like habitually, you know? And so six months after my third DUI, I just got this idea that that maybe I was going to quit drinking and I did and I just stopped and I it was 10 and a half months that I was dry and the strangest thing happened during that time you know all I had done was removed alcohol and I was just as shit of a person like I was just as angry just as depressed all I had done was removed alcohol with all of these awful behaviors, using mm. it, using different coping mechanisms uh, that just had a different word behind it than alcohol, whether it was overspending or overeating or overexercising, whatever it looked like, you know, I just, it was insert bad behavior here. And, and that's yeah. really where I realized alcohol is not my problem. Alcohol was just a solution to my problems, to my shitty behaviors, to my coping mechanisms. Like this was just how 
I chose to deal with it, but this wasn't my problem. There's a lot to get under here. And that was so fascinating to me because I was, I, I was just so convinced that, man, if I removed alcohol, of course, you know, I haven't been arrested since I've uh, quit drinking. Um, but, you know, I was still there with all the unmanageability uh, with or without alcohol. And that was so mind boggling to me. I thought removing alcohol was just going to cure everything that was wrong with me. And that's such, it's the smallest part of the whole equation. Yeah. I remember the first time I heard somebody say alcohol has been a symptom. I just looked at him. What in the hell are are you talking about? It is clearly the problem because my life is a dumpster fire as a result of it. But But you're right. We remove it and that it's, itself it's some that's something inside there's some i hate this play on words i don't but i'm gonna use it anyway there's some dis-ease you know that's the the disease Mm -hmm. of alcoholism you know if we choose to use that word but yeah there's some dis-ease there's something inside of us that we're not content with and 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 you're 100 percent right we can find i mean there's any number of things we can put down the bottle and we can grab pills shopping sex gambling it's food it's limitless exercise yep absolutely it's just insert like behavior here you know it has nothing to do with alcohol that was just um what i chose for that that period of time and so i had a one day relapse after this 10 and a half months and i just went out for bottomless mimosas that day and nothing crazy (laughs) happened and that was june 23rd and that next day i remember being in my engineering room and i called my mother and it was it was around 10:45 in the morning and i just asked her if she she thought i had a problem drinking and this is a woman who has no idea i have three uis she sees this this girl who has been on her own since she was graduated from college she got her little brother a job at the same engineering firm was you know just taking care of herself and she has no idea that i am dying on the inside and just dying on the outside and, mm. and just cannot quit getting arrested, cannot quit jury. But I asked her something for you to look into. Cause she knows me, you know, she tells me to go right and go left vengeance, like I said. And for whatever reason, I'd never been to an AA meeting before, but I, I looked up the nearest AA meeting and there was one 10 minutes away. There was a noon meeting, 10 minutes away. And I got in my truck and I went to this meeting and I know that for some people in Recovery Elevator, the 12-step program is not a part of their story, but it's it's a big part of mine. And I walked into this noon meeting and I must have looked like I got hit by a bus because this guy hands me how it works. And he's like, <laughs> I want you to read this today. And it was on this laminated piece of paper. And I had never heard those words before. I never heard um, those steps. God could, what if you were saw? I'd never heard any yeah. of that before. And, and I read that and that hour meeting got over and I ran for the door. I was never going to come back. I thought that was the worst 60 minutes I'd ever spent in my entire life. I was not ready. And this woman stopped me and she said, it looks like you need a sponsor. And I asked her what a sponsor was. And she, she kind of laughed at me and she said, look, I want you to, this is what I want you to do. I want you to come back here tomorrow and we are going to read this book after the meeting. And, and I was too scared to ask her what book she was talking about. So I went home and I Googled it and it was this book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I don't know why I listened to her. She told me not to drink that night and I didn't. And I came back the next day and we started reading this book. And I never went out after. 
after that again. And the craziest thing, you know, like I'm this, this engineer, this has been college athlete who is overly concerned with being competitive and numbers. And my first couple months of sobriety, the second time, you know, really focusing on the underlying issues and not the surface of, of just alcohol. That uh, those first couple of months, I really beat myself up over those 10 and a half months I had lost. Like, goodness, if I wouldn't have drank, like I'd have a year by now. And everyone's in here talking about how much time they had. I have no idea that sobriety is about quality and not quantity. Yes. And it took me a long time to figure that out, that it doesn't matter if I've got 10 years dry if i'm just as miserable as i was drinking like what's what's the point and so this thing that i thought was such a detriment the first couple months that i was in the program was the biggest gift i gave myself mm-hmm. in hindsight because not only am i firm that noel with alcohol is a disaster but noel without alcohol and not working on ourselves and and you know cutting out these clamors of the world and uncovering you know um just really seeking and living my life with a little bit more spiritual elegance, that girl is just as much of a disaster too. And so it it gets me really firm on, I can't have alcohol in my body or in my life, but I also can't live a life without spiritual elegance either. And um, because I'll be just as, just as much of a disaster. And they hit you hard that first meeting. They throw you the longest <laughs> reading. <laughs> Dang, get, I know. Get shackled up with a sponsor right away. But uh, I love the way that you put that. And I think you're, I think it's so accurate is, you know, like I don't, I don't want to go out and drink. Like that's, that's not something today that I want to do. And I, and I regret, I regret all the stuff that I did. I do. Like I, I heard a lot of people along the way and I don't want it to sound like a cop out, but that, but what, what happened had to have like without that, without that gift of desperation and it sounds cliche and I know sometimes it can, it can feel overused, but it's, I think there's a lot of truth in that is, is like whatever it takes to get us into it. That's what, that's what it takes. You know, yeah, it takes what it takes. And then also I just think that when, when you're done, the right situation and the right opportunity presents itself to you. You know, I, I hear a lot of people talk about how, you should be at the point where you're um, you're the one asking for help or, or for someone to come up to you. And, and in my situation, someone stopped me. And I think that, you know, that it's just God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves and whatever that looks like for, for each person. But for me, that looked like this little six-year-old woman named Caroline stopping me at the door. And that was God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. And I'm so grateful for her because I never would have seen a room of Alcoholics Anonymous ever again. And I'd probably still be, still be running and gunning. That's, I'm, I'm glad that you found her as well. And uh, let's talk about, this is, this is like my favorite stuff now is, is once we get, we get into it, you had your, you had your last, you know, God willing, your last day one, you find this woman, you start getting into the book. What did that first 60 days, 90 days, six months, you know, you have this realization that this is, that, that it needs to be worked, that there is some work to do. So what did, what did that look like for you? Do I remember one of the first exercises she had me do was for lack of a better term, write a drunk log, but that was the greatest thing I ever could have done for myself because I wrote what the substance was. I wrote the age and I wrote the incident. And Chris, I had never seen just the red 
in front of me, like just just what I had done in front of me. Mm-hmm. I did such a great job of padding stories and offsetting it with the good that I had never seen just the wreckage of my past in front of me like that. And that hit me like a Mack truck and my heart broke for that girl, like that I kept in the game so long when it was just so, so clear, the patterns, the destructive behavior, the risky behavior, that was so profound for me. And and so in, that was my first step, but in continuing on with, with the steps, there, there was this other profound moment for me. And, and I work with my brother and he is, you know, like, he was a youth pastor in college and he didn't need Alcoholics Anonymous to find his relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And um, we're at the same point professionally, you know, but he took A to B to get there. And I took A and got hit by a bus and then <laughs> crawled up a mountain and then fell off of it again. Like my path for us to be at the same point that we are now in a year apart was so much more <laughs> colorful than his. And I almost had this resentment, like, why does it take me doing things the hard way? And he just gets it. You know, he's just a grounded individual. And and I remember, um, you know, explaining to him what a fourth and fifth step was one morning when we were having coffee. And he, he just smirked and he asked if I had a resentment towards them. And I, I said, man, I thought I did. And then I realized it's it's this remorse that I have towards myself that that it takes me like getting hit by a hammer over and over again where you know, you just don't keep playing with fire and, and it's really my own behaviors. And, and we had this really profound moment where we went back and forth on, he made comments like, yeah, Noel, but you're, you're the one that does so well, well in business. And you, you were the athlete, you know, like I could never play sports and you were the one with all the, the friends, you know, and, and we just went back and forth for a second. And what I realized in that moment is we are on the exact path that we need to be on, you know, like the things that I was envious of Christian, he was envious of me of the opposite things, you know, and it's just, it's, it was just such a profound moment for me where it was like this path that you're on. And I must've been like eight months sober is exactly where you need to be. Like, you don't need to compare your journey to your brothers or anyone else, you know, like you were given this set of circumstances because it was the exact set that you needed to go make your impact and imprint on the world. And, and that gave me so much grace in that moment, but that was really profound for me. Yeah, that's good. It takes, yeah, well, again, the cliche stuff that I throw out that we all do. But yeah, it takes what it takes and, and learning to have a little bit of like empathy and perspective to, to look at someone else's journey as theirs and accept ours for, for what it is without that comparison game. Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, that the whole point of the steps is just chipping away at the pieces that aren't of us. You know, maybe it's these domesticated beliefs that we built up or these fears that we have or these resentments. But I just, you know, I had no idea what the 12 steps were, but it's really just, it's this design for living and this chipping away at, at all this stuff that we've built up around who we are that aren't, that isn't really who we are. And so just kind of chipping away at that. I just, I want to ask a question because as someone who seems fiercely independent and successful and, and very capable, I want to, I'm curious as to how you handled the surrender aspect of of the program and if you'd be willing to to talk about what that look did or does look like for you yeah you know what what had to be explained to me 
was the paradox of you are surrendering to win and and to elaborate on that you're you like that was hard for me you know and it's kind of like i'm surrendering to something in one form or fashion every single day you know whether it's like myself manifested in in a thousand different ways or it's fears or it's me trying to live in my will whatever that looks like but it had to be explained to me that noel you're surrendering to be on the winning team and maybe i'm just a sucker for sports analogies and um but that made a lot of sense to me you know it wasn't that i'm surrendering because i'm waving my white flag it's surrendering because you you want to be on the winning team and when i flip that perspective you know so much of sobriety and serenity I think all of sobriety and serenity is living at peace with unsolved problems. Like it's not like everything is rainbows and butterflies because we get sober. But what happens is this perspective shift. It's living at peace with unsolved problems. And and that's the same thing with surrender. At the end of the day, I was doing the same thing, surrendering my will, surrendering because whatever it looked like, but my initial perspective was I'm surrendering because I'm waving my white flag. And I was like, you're joining the winning team. You're yeah. getting with the winners. And so nothing about the act of surrendering really changed. It was just my perspective around it. And I think that um, besides the, the act of surrender itself, the, the bigger lesson there for me is that nothing is really good or bad it's just our opinion of the way it is right and and so if i can remember that when something's disturbing me and whether it's me needing to surrender something or um, i'm not accepting something in my life i can really dial it back to what is your opinion of of this because it's neither here nor there it's not good or bad it's just your perspective of it and sobriety serenity is about living at peace with with those unsolved problems. Yeah. Speaking for myself, not that I don't have tendencies still, but the goal is no longer to inflict my will upon the world and, and make every situation one that I'm fully satisfied with because it's my way, but how can I adjust my perspective and my attitude and, and shift what my expectations are to like, even, you know, like you said, even when there are those trials, when, when I have those trials in my life, that I think it's completely possible to find peace with that, that shift in thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So you get in the program, working with your sponsor. It sounds like things are, have been going good. You are 900 plus days now. What is, what does your recovery look like now? Two and a half years in all. Yeah. You know, I, today I have a sponsor and uh, she knows she's my sponsor and I sponsor women too. There's a, a, a spiritual community here in Denver, Colorado. It's called Free Spiritual Community. And I work on this, the staff part-time and I'm on the pastoral staff. The lead pastor has eight years sober and he was that, that pastor who could not quit drinking, you know, that ordained minister who just couldn't figure it out. And, and like I said, he's got eight years sober, but it's, uh, it's, we just opened a new building. It's 11,000 square feet. And it's this amazing community for spirit, for addicts, loved ones of addicts and spiritual refugees. So there's a lot of people that have step programs. This is a safe space for them. And it's also Saturday service and 
families come to it. So it's not just Noel's going to an AA meeting for two and a half hours Mm -hmm. and I'll see you when I get back. You know, families are coming. And so if you would have told me that I would be on the pastoral staff, let alone like working in recovery as a part-time gig, I would have thought you were insane. But it, it's just incredible what getting out of self does for you and showing. That's what a lot of my, my recovery looks like is um, working with other women because that was a gift that was so freely given to me. Just some woman showing up for me a couple years ago. And then um, working in, in the community of Denver and, and realizing that not everyone resonates with the church, not everyone resonates with the 12-step program, but, you know, really working in a community that, that recognizes those things and has a safe spot for, for those people. And so it's, it's pretty special what I get to do. That sounds amazing. I think it's real stand-up work to be able to to stick with with your beliefs and and to honor where you are but to to have that capacity i think i think there can be intolerance i, I mean i don't want to put project that onto the re- recovery community but there is i think i think it's there to some extent but i think the perception is larger that if you're a 12 stepper that people are going to be like well you got to do 12 step or else you're guaranteed to go back out or if you're you know if you're in a christian faith i don't know Sometimes we put people in boxes that they don't necessarily want to be in or need to be in, but to to have that ability just to meet folks where they're at, like even if it's not exactly my program or my belief, to be able to, like, hey, I can still talk to you and I can still, there's still things from from my experience that I can give to you as well. Absolutely. You know, I can't I can't knock a twelve step program because that was what I googled and and that's where I showed up that day and it saved my life, but. We have full step programs within within our building, but then we also have you know services and programs that have nothing to do with the twelve steps. But as long as you know, as long as you have a mentor in this journey, someone um, that you want something that they have that they've mm-hmm. they've got some time under their belt, and you're you're just seeking, you know, that you know that there's there's a God or something bigger than you out there, and that you're not it, right? And so I think that those are those are the two big ones. And as long as you're sticking with the winners, like I, I'm not ignorant, nor does AA claim to be a monopoly of it's, it's AA or bust. And so it's, you know, part of the word spiritual has the word ritual in it and the seemingly unrelated things that we do in recovery, being of help to others, uh, meditation, um, having a mentor, and, and seeking, you know, and those things, those are part of our, our everyday life. I believe that you'll have an incredibly uh, fruitful and wonderful life in recovery. So whatever that looks like for you. I'm in agreement. I think a throwback to Paul, the, uh, you know, looking for the similarities and not the differences. There's so much of what these different, different programs and avenues to recovery provide and and yeah, there's, there's so much in common and community is a huge, huge aspect to that. And it's just finding your group, finding what works for you. And, and, and I love that idea. I know the way I found my sponsor was exactly how you said, I, you know, I looked around and I saw this guy and it's like, that's, I looked at the way that he handled life, the way that he handled his stressors. And I was like, this is what I want. Like, I want that ability. And once we, we find community, we can find those people. And, and we'll know if we trust ourselves, we'll know who's going to, who's going to walk us the way that we want to go 
And that's, that's a choice, a choice that we get to make. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I would like to say something about just that moment this spring of, of meeting Odette. Yes. Yeah. Let's, yeah. Tell me about it. So this, um, you know, recovery elevator was a huge part of my story in early sobriety. All I would do um, for the first six months was go to meetings, listen to recovery elevator, go to work and sleep. I mean, it was, if I wasn't in a meeting, I was listening to recovery elevator in my podcast at work and, and over, and I knew Odette had taken over some of the podcasts and I knew what she looked like, but in April of, of this year, I got out of a, a really long-term relationship and, and we were engaged and I just, I just knew that wasn't the right fit. And it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. But, and I was really struggling. I knew it was the right thing, but man, I was, I was broken. And that next month, a couple of friends and I, my friend, Eric and Josh, we decided that we're going to go out to Zion National Park in Utah. And um, it was just, man, it was just a spur of the moment trip over, over one weekend. And we drove through the night on this Friday night and we got to Zion National Park at uh, 6 a.m. The park opened at 7. And the first hike we did that day was a hike called Angels Landing in Zion National Park. And man, Zion's beautiful. And we are one of the first people on this trail and we're we're hiking up it and um, we get to the top. And I just have this moment of like, even though I'm struggling and I'm so heartbroken and I'm just like, my, everything in my world is completely different. I just have this moment on top of Angels Landing where I'm like, oh my goodness, like this is exactly where you need to be right now. Like if you would have been in that prior situation, you wouldn't be in Zion and you wouldn't be having this experience. And I just, I knew within the core of who I was that I was exactly where I needed to be. And I just, this peace came over me. And um, we had a lot to do that that day. We were going to go to the Narrows and, and a lot to hike in, in one day. So we literally started running down the backside of this mountain. And I'm, I'm maybe 500 feet in front of the boys. And I look up, you know, and, and for the most part, this is a steep, it's steep coming down. And my feet are just focused on my hiking shoes and other people are coming up. And there's the hustle and bustle of, of a national park. And I look up and I see a face that I recognize. And as I was just like, goodness, is your name Odette? And she's like, it is. And she's coming up this angel's landing with her husband and I'm coming down it. Like we had to have been passing each other at this exact moment. Like I had to have gotten to Zion at the moment that I did for us to have met at that particular path. And it's, it's a one way each way up angel's landing. Like the odds are, are not like, oh my goodness. And I was just like, my name is Noel. And at that time, you know, it was May of, um, this year. So I, I was just under two years sobriety. I was like, I'll have two years next month. And recovery elevator was such a huge part of my, my sobriety. And, and it was just hilarious. The girl standing next to Odette was like, you're a podcast host. And I was like, she's the best <laughs> podcast host. No offense. Cause I haven't heard one of yours yet, but, um, it was just hilarious, but we were just like, I don't know, like we were just like celebrating recovery and sobriety in front of like hundreds of people on angels landing that day. But it was just one of those moments where like I had this profound moment of you are exactly where you need to be. Like yes. you are on the right path, Noel. And then I crossed paths with Odette and she's, she's coming from California and is in Zion and I'm coming from Colorado and I'm in Zion on that day and on that moment. And it was just like another God shot again, 
on that trail of like, this is exactly where you need to be. Like your recovery community's got you, like God's got you, like nature's got you, like you're going to be just fine. And it was just, um, it was just one of those moments where how, how could you not know that there's something bigger than yourself in play? Because it's just, it's just too much of a coincidence. Like there's things working in your life, Noel, and, and you just have to, um, be aware of them and you just have to, to keep seeking. So it was pretty, pretty incredible. I love that so much. And like, what a beautiful affirmation, especially considering like what you were going through to, I mean, I think it would be cool to, to meet, to meet someone like regardless, but especially considering just what was going on in your life. So special. I'm so grateful. Yep. It was super cool really part of my healing that was like the start of my my deep healing was just these these affirmations as you said where it was like this burns like hell girl and I get it but this is like you're on the right path you know and there was so much peace that came over me after that trip where it was just like and um and it's just been up on the up and up since so I'm so (laughs) grateful (laughs) I love it. That's uh, that's a very cool little wink from yep, God. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. Well, Noel, I, I appreciate your time, and we are to the rapid fire round. So in 30 to 60 seconds, I'm going to throw a couple questions at you. At you. Um, number one, what was your biggest fear as you were thinking about quitting drinking? That I would have no friends being sober. Yeah, I think that's a common one. It's uh, it, it cracks me up now because I, it's just like the opposite problem. Like I just have so many great, great friends in sorority, but I thought no one was going to hang out with me. No one wanted to date me. No one wanted to be my friend. Like I would not be fun and be able to go out and have these um, manufactured experiences anymore. And it's been the exact opposite. So it's quite comical. That's awesome. Uh, what is a positive and maybe this, maybe you can expand on that. Like what is a positive that you didn't expect in a life without alcohol? That being of service to others would be, um, the biggest component of it. That, um, the antidote to getting out of yourself and your fears to just show up for other people. I mean, it's like a, it's a two for one, you know, you can help someone else, but then you're also kind of subsiding your own fears and and insecurity so it's just it's incredible yes uh what is your plan on sobriety moving forward just to continue to be of service to others um continue to work at free spiritual community and and sponsor other women work with my sponsor and and just keep seeking you know as long as i am continuing to grow it's it's incredible i thought i was so ignorant to the fact that i didn't think i'd have any i thought my zero to one year was going to be my biggest year of growth. You know, mm-hmm. it's just how, how could I learn more than in that year? You know, yes. and it's been the opposite, you know, it's just every year gets it deeper and more meaningful. And so as long as I keep showing up in these different aspects, they, you know, I keep getting these opportunities to be of service or work in the community and it's just incredible. So I'm grateful. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of us after that first year, we kind of have this, well, like now what moment? And it's like, don't worry, oh keep yes. at it and you're going to find it's, out now what. It's just getting started. You're yes. just scratching the surface. Keep going. <laughs> yes, it's good. It's hard sometimes, but it's good. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice that you've ever, ever received? 
Gosh, I, I think that uh, I think what we were talking about earlier is the first thing that pops in my mind that sobriety and serenity is is living at peace with unsolved problems, and and just that your perspective shifts that that things in your world can be falling apart, and they can be um, a mess, and they can look really awful, and they can feel really awful. And that's okay. You know, like sobriety isn't all rainbows and butterflies, but have grace on yourself and just know that by continuing to do the right thing and, and to uh, to continue to grow, you'll get peace around that. But part of the peace is living in the mess. And so just being okay with, with that messy times, like the mess doesn't go away when you get sober, but it's just a part of, of the healing and a part of the, the peace that comes with it. And you know, I just thought it was going to be rainbows and butterflies and not that it isn't sometimes, but it's, it, it's okay for things to be messy sometimes. And, and I was really hard on myself about that because I was living in this fantasy world where the highlight reel and looked really great. And so, you know, true authentic living involves a lot of mess, but yeah. there's also a lot of peace that comes with it. Yes. We don't have to, we don't have to mask up. We, we find a way to ride through the turbulence and be okay with it. Ooh, I love that. Yep. We don't have to mask up and ride through the turbulence. Right. And, uh, you know, it's so cliche, but it's, it's a part of that journey too. You know, we don't know how good the sunshine feels without the rain kind of a thing. So. Yes. All right. And last, but certainly not least, can you give listeners your favorite? You might need to ditch the booze if line. You might need to ditch the booze. If you get a Denver Business Journal Award for top 30 under 30 and sleep in jail that night in a cot because you have just collected your third DUI. I have not heard that one. <laughs> yeah, And you have an ankle monitor taped on your ankle. You know, that might be an indication. I don't know. but Get my duct tape. <laughs> yeah. And my duct tape in my purse. It was nice. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it so much. Uh, I think you're going to help a lot of people with this. Uh, thank you so much, Chris. It was, it was a blast. I appreciate you. All right. Well, thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening, Recovery Elevator. And thank you, Noelle, for sharing your story. You're going to help a lot of people. If you've heard me talk about the beginning of my recovery, you might remember that things weren't going so great in my life. The people I love the most in this world had had enough. I never wanted to hurt them. I didn't want to say the things that I had. I regretted all the money that I spent. I was left wishing for all the time back that I had wasted hiding out and isolating just for one more drink. All the energy I had devoted to protecting my relationship with booze suddenly ran out. Looking at the pieces, I was getting a glimpse of what I had been doing and the effect that it had on my loved ones. There was a night that really started the opening process, and that was right before I went to go see my doctor to tell him I needed help. In all honesty, I was debating whether or not to go to that appointment. My wife and I were separated, and she had come out to visit me. She asked me what I was going to say to the doc. I need to slow down my drinking. Isn't that it, I thought. She took a breath and started crying. Aren't you going to tell them what you've done? Aren't you going to tell them that you've yelled at me and thrown things in our home? Are you going to tell them that you've screamed at our children? Are you going to tell them how you've driven drunk with all of us in the vehicle? Will you tell them how much money you've stolen from our family? That was a tough moment for me. What had I done? How couldn't I see this earlier? 
That's what alcohol does, though. It was right in front of me, but I refused to look at it. The way I was living had taken such a hard turn from who I claimed to be that I didn't even recognize myself. It was heartbreaking, but in that moment, a door opened. On this side of the door, I could have bowed up and I could have told her that she had changed, not me. That she was being too hard on me and that I deserved to be able to do what I wanted. I could have let my ego run loose. On this side of the door, though, we all lose. On the other side of the door, one that I'm grateful every day that I stepped through, that's where the healing was. By taking that step and saying, you're right, I'm sorry. I started to let go of what I thought I knew. I felt pretty low in those early days. For the first time, without a case of beer to numb my feelings, I was facing the consequences of my actions. I was scared and felt completely hopeless. Some of you listening might be feeling that right now. It doesn't really matter how long we've been sober or trying to get sober. At any point, we can be in a position where we're just not sure what to do next. I want you to know that it's okay to feel that way. It's just a feeling that you can get through this. Even with my life turned upside down, God had equipped me for this. I knew what I had to do next. I put my head down and I got to work. I was scared, but I also knew that things were going to be okay. I had no idea what okay meant, but I had faith that I was going to make it. I know that he's equipped you too, and that whatever you're facing, you can make it. Whatever you've been walking through, just ask yourself the simple question. What's the next right thing to do in this moment? How can I make things better? Then do it. I didn't have to repair years of damage in one action. That's just impossible. I just had to take a step and then another one. As long as we keep moving, we keep healing. The more that we can heal ourselves, the more capable we are of helping others. Recovery Elevator, the door has been opened. Let's walk through this together. I love you. How do you know this is the experience you need? Because this is the experience you're having at this moment. Seeing of who you are not, the reality of who you are emerges by itself. Life isn't as serious as my mind makes it out to be. Being must be felt. It can't be thought. Your inner purpose is to awaken.